The other day I was trying to zip files together and my computer wasn't working. Uh, I set out on a mission to fix it, which incidentally involved me typing small pieces of code into the administrator bit of my computer. That's the technical term, uh, administrator bit. Anyway, the screen was black with white text and I was typing things like percentage sign temp, percentage sign grant system colon F, and like tapping furiously. Long story short, it worked. Uh, I can now zip files without getting an error message. I didn't break my laptop. And for one brief, shining moment, I got to pretend that I was Angelina Jolie in Hackers. I was so proud of this achievement that I immediately shared it with like nine people, all of whom completely ignored my elite computer fixing skills in favor of yelling, God, hackers rules. And I can't even be mad at them. I can't be mad that no one said, yes, Alex, you are exactly like Angelina Jolie in Hackers, you beautiful genius. Congratulations on not bricking your computer. Because actually, Hackers is that good. It's a film that came out just on the precipice of people having the internet and technology like fully integrated into their lives. So it has this weird sense of promise. The internet might still be cool. Turns out they were wrong. The internet is a never-ending hellscape. But it's been 25 years since it came out, and it feels worth thinking about the shift in the portrayal of hackers and technology in general in movies. I'm Alex, this is Pop Culture Boner, the podcast edition, and today I'm thinking about cinematic hackers. Whenever I watch a movie that features a hacker character, I can guarantee two things. One, they will be the comic relief character. And two, they will be my favorite character. I am nothing if not predictable. (laughs) See, the way that movies work now, hackers are always uncool and a little awkward. They are likely to be intimidated by another cooler character, say something bumbling, and then have to be like physically saved by someone bigger and stronger but only after they've performed some function vital to the success of the mission, which is extremely my shit. (laughs) But I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. As we've already discussed on previous episodes, I am a dingus who loves cheesy movie tropes. And while I do love this particular trope more than most things, it seems like a huge jump from something cool and futuristic like hackers. To me, something in this shift feels kind of sinister. Technology and the people who manipulate it no longer feel like they have the potential for good. Instead, we're left with the so-called good guys passing around nuclear codes while people bash on keyboards and scream at each other. So, I thought we could spend this episode thinking about what the cinematic classic Hackers says about the egalitarian promise of technology, and what our current representations of Hackers in movies say about our relationship to technology now. You can listen to me struggle to articulate things about technology that I barely have the vocabulary for. It'll be fun. Okay, so for those of you who haven't had the pleasure yet, Hackers follows Dade Murphy, aka Crash Override, aka Zero Cool, played by Johnny Lee Miller, who was busted as an 11-year-old for crashing Wall Street with a virus and banned from using all computers or touchtone phones until his 18th birthday. When his mum moves him to New York City, he links up with a group of fellow elite hackers, most notably his love interest Acid Burn, played by Angelina Jolie, 
One of their group accidentally stumbles on a hack being used to skim money from an oil company designed by the company's head of security, a hacker-turned-corporate shill who goes by the plague. Suddenly, the whole team are targeted as part of an elaborate frame-up which will result in global ecological disaster unless they can stop it and clear their names first. Aesthetically, everything in the film feels like the 90s New York rave scene meets, like, technicolor cyberpunk future. Matthew Lillard, playing a hacker who goes by serial killer, wears several outfits that I think about, like, once a week with longing including one sparkly turtleneck crop top with Lou Reed's Transformer album cover printed all over it that I would give my left tip for. When it does delve into the actual technology element of it, everything is dialed up to 11. Laptop screens project onto faces and reflect off sunglasses. Computer memories are 3D worlds requiring two-person navigation through luminous cities. You would think for a film focused on burgeoning technology that it would be riddled with like bad, boxy, early 90s CGI, but one of the film's saving graces is that they actually built miniatures and used traditional animation to build out the technology. It means that in spite of the silliness of a psychedelic techno future, it still feels kind of real and tangible and not wildly out of date. Because Hackers has hit its 25th anniversary in the past week or so, there's a delightful number of think pieces floating around about it right now. Interestingly to me, a lot of these seem to not be on film websites who have largely ignored its big milestone, but on PC websites and on the blogs of people who work in digital security. This could be because for all of its colourful ludicrousness, the film was actually written with real-life hackers in mind. Screenwriter Raphael Moreau was fascinated by the phone freakers of the 1980s who were telecommunications hackers who started off by exploiting touch-tone phones and progressed with the technology. Moreau started hanging around with some of the big faces of the growing hacker movement who had aliases like fiber optic, uh, that's fiber with a PH and optic with a K, to get like a real sense of the scene and the technology surrounding it and then built the characters out of the people that he met there. I think another reason it seems to hold such a fond place in, like, tech people's hearts is that it was released kind of at the dawn of the internet, and rather than being afraid of this new world and offering, like, a grim warning of impending doom, the film embraced the joy and potential of the internet. When Hackers came out in 1995, only about 14% of Americans had access to the internet. I tried to find some stats for Australia specifically, given that we're often pretty keen adopters of technology, but I ended up drawing a blank. I'm trying to do the math in my head to work out when, like, we got it as a family. And the only thing that I can think of is that my first ever email address had the number 02 in it, which makes me think I at least had an email by 2002. Keeping in mind, I also grew up in regional Australia and things took like a little bit longer to hit us. But I remember being excited because having an email meant that I was able to do things like sign up to MSN Messenger or use chat boards. I think it will always be kind of difficult to explain to people who've had the internet their whole lives, but being online for a while there was a little bit like being in the Wild West. You were clicking through random people's personal interest sites, weird chat rooms, special interest message boards. 
where now you scroll the same four websites kind of aimlessly seeking entertainment that might never come, previously you could find basically anything either on purpose or by accident and end up pretty much anywhere. And that was just for me, a child with absolutely no technological skill. For people who understood the technology or had the drive to understand it, it presented a new and exciting world to be built in any way conceivable. And Hackers really fully encapsulates that joy and potential. If you compare it to other films released in the same time period that feature the internet as a central plot point and our changing relationship to technology, the tone is completely different. The same year that Hackers came out, Sandra Bullock starred in The Net as a systems analyst whose life is so online that when she stumbles on a secret conspiracy, it's easy for the group of sinister programmers behind it to completely erase her from existence, both online and off. Or even if we go back earlier to 1983 when Matthew Broderick starred in War Games, in which a young hacker accidentally programs a government supercomputer to start World War III, The message in these films is fairly clearly that the internet is a bad and scary place, sinister and manipulated in ways unknowable by forces unseen. Hackers takes a much more joyful approach, viewing the internet as something tangible and useful. Perhaps most importantly, Hackers connects the internet with subculture and community. Beyond all the visual cues that I mentioned earlier, so like the cool style, the big personalities, and the physicality of the film's digital realm, it also conveys this through the script in a way that I think has been lost in every hacking movie moving forward. See, the film references an essay called The Conscience of a Hacker, which is also known as The Hacker Manifesto, which was written in 1986 by a hacker who went by the name of The Mentor, Uh, His real name was Lloyd Blankenship, so I can see perhaps why a realm where you exist with a pseudonym was tempting for him. Uh, Anyway, a piece of the manifesto is lodged into the script in a pretty obvious way. It's read out by an FBI agent in a condescending tone to his younger partner. It goes, We exist without skin colour, without nationality, without religious bias, and you call us criminals. You build atomic bombs, you wage wars, you murder, cheat, and lie to us, and try to make us believe it's for our own good, yet we're the criminals? Yes, I am a criminal. My crime is that of curiosity. My crime is that of judging people by what they say and think, not what they look like. When pressed for an opinion, the officer's partner, played by a young and quite sexy Mark Antony, who we later see at a hacker party, says, It's cool. I think it sounds cool. And his colleague splutters back, cool, it's commie shit. And that's the divide between hackers and every other internet movie at the time. It is commie shit, snuck into every corner of the movie. A big oil company utilizing a hacker as their chief of security gets burned not only by him, but burned by every other hacker in the film. Anyone seen as profiteering is not only scum, but also deeply uncool. Community is profoundly important. Throughout the film, for example, it's implied that Serial Killer doesn't really have a home to go to, but every hacker is happy to take him in. And by the end of the movie, the hackers are globally united in their quest to invade the oil company's computer systems and expose their dirty dealings. 
Hacking is a way of life designed to circumvent the external pressures of capitalism. As one of the stylish and elite hackers says, hacking is more than just a crime. It's a survival trait. So if we were at this moment in 1995, where are we now? Look, I'm not going to lie to you. I actually started thinking about hacking as a whole because I was watching the seventh Fast and Furious movie. I realize at this point, it seems like all of the ideas that I have for this podcast have stemmed from that film franchise at one point or another. Did I engineer this podcast around the desire to talk about that film franchise? No. I also did it to write about Magic Mike. (laughs) Anyway, the point is, I was watching the movie. And they have a techno geek character I mentioned earlier who's played by Ludacris. And by the seventh film, they've given him a pretty lady hacker counterpart who's created this technology called God's Eye. God's Eye hacks into every web-connected camera device in the world and they have to hack it back to stop some guy getting it. I don't know. Point is, they have to be within two miles of the technology in order to hack it, which is essentially an excuse to make the techno whiz kid hacking bit more exciting by putting it in a speeding vehicle that's being fired at by a helicopter. And I started thinking about why we have to have our hacker whiz kids being shot at and flying around in the backseat of a moving muscle car in order to be more exciting. Part of me thought that maybe it was because we are all so accustomed to having technology in our lives now that at a base level, we understand that hacking is actually probably kind of boring. (laughs) Like we probably have just enough of an understanding of the technology that we interact with every day to do our jobs and live our lives to understand that it isn't lots of fun animated interfaces or just typing really fast and yelling, I'm in, triumphantly. It's mostly actually like a lot of painstaking sitting around, uh, maybe a little bit of checking, uh, and then some more sitting around. It doesn't make for good cinema, really. But actually, I think it's probably more complicated than that. I think it points to the fact that technology itself has gone kind of sinister on us. I mentioned before that when you think about our internet usage now, it often amounts to pacing around the same four websites looking for entertainment. And those websites are huge corporate entities, Facebook and Instagram, uh, YouTube and Google, maybe Twitter, if you're like me and you really hate yourself. There's not really any fun or surprise here. You're using the supercomputer in your pocket for exactly the same thing that everyone else is using it for. And that's by design. It's capitalism, baby. You're using these free, well-designed, oh-so-smooth-running services so that you can be pushed a product at the expense of your privacy. You couldn't even quantify how much data you've given over to these huge entities. I know you couldn't because I couldn't. And I'm, like, very slightly more paranoid than the average person about that type of thing. Not, like, paranoid enough to make my life more difficult per se, but you know what I mean. I read enough of the app permissions that I won't download it if I think it's asking for something unreasonable. Like, why does the New South Wales government app require access to my microphone? Huh? It doesn't, and I'll never download it, you goons. Sorry. (laughs) Off track. Um, I think we all sort of know that giving away that much information is bad, but it's bad to us in a way that's kind of unquantifiable. Like, does it matter if Alexa is listening to me talk all the time? 
what could Amazon possibly do with a consistent and clear mapping of my voice and passive ear in on every single conversation I have in its vicinity? It's so convenient. Who cares? We don't have a picture of what the worst possible outcome could be because it's so outside of our realms of understanding at this point that we can't even visualize it. The technology is advancing so fast on us that even the way that we represent it cinematically cannot keep up. You want to know what the plot of the 1999 Charlie's Angels reboot was? The Angels had to stop a piece of technology that would allow our mobile phones to listen to us all the time and track us anywhere we went. That and, like, Sam Rockwell being sexy and evil, which was a secondary plot point, but very important to me specifically. Uh, Anyway, that was 1999. We just let that happen now. We're kind of fine with it uh, because we, like, I don't know, don't have to call cabs anymore or read maps properly. Because human beings love a bit of convenience, I guess, and it turns out we'll trade pretty much anything for it. And because the internet is overrun by capitalist spyware masquerading as convenience, the wild west of the internet has been tamed somewhat. It no longer feels full of the potential that hackers represented as a film, or that the kind of people that wrote the Hacker Manifesto saw when they looked at the internet in 1995. Instead, for us, the internet is this kind of like omnipresent, vaguely sinister entity that we're somehow completely reliant on and also a little unnerved by. You'll notice when you see technology appear in films, its purpose is usually some never fully realized extension of an existing technology embodiment. And it becomes a race to get it back into the hands of the good guys. And because American action cinema is almost completely backed dollars-wise by the American military, that good guy is usually the American government and her loyal band of good American soldiers. Even in Fast 7, where everyone involved is essentially a street racing outlaw with a need for speed and the ability to steal $100 million in cash from a drug lord, they're still trying to get the tech back to the American government for safekeeping, which is a concept that is... Thoroughly laughable. Look, swinging back around before I get too deep into my weekly your phone is listening to you and capitalism is evil rant. Uh, The point of all this is that we've so rapidly surpassed the ability to kind of wrangle any noble intention out of the internet that we're just stuck with the notion that the internet is sinister and evil. From like a cinematic perspective anyway, I think there probably is room for us to save ourselves from the actual digital nightmare that we've created, but I don't have the words for how that happens, you know? Instead, we just have to be content with whiz kids flying around in the back of American muscle cars. Well, uh, that was my chat about hackers. Uh, What I actually wanted to talk about was just Matthew Lillard's outfits in the movie Hackers for 20 minutes. But that's not necessarily entertaining for you. (laughs) Or maybe it is, I don't know. Uh, If you want to talk to me about the way Matthew Lillard's nipple pops out of his dead Kennedys t-shirt, come find me at the pub. Peace. Peace.